Night falls on the golden age of humanity. Sons shall turn upon their father, and his worlds drown in blood. The eye shall open, and the galaxy will burn. Join us, listeners. We go into the canon lore of the Forge World Black Books on Heresy Grad School. Professors Jason, Patrick, and Dave, myself, will dive into the lore of the Black Books and the Black Library novels that we know and love and explore the heresy as history. So get a coffee, get your notebook out, and uh, prepare to explore heresy as history with us on Heresy Grad School. What are we talking about again tonight? Something, something, Mechanicum, something, something. Yeah, the Cor- two Forge Worlds, man. Coronet Deep. Is Jason actually still here? Yeah, he's just on mute. Oh. God damn it with the mute. All right. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to start calling it the Corona Deeps and wait till somebody complains at me. Correct. <laughs> It's like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure uh, this uh, star system is sponsored by Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey, bro, can I get a lime in my Corona Deep, thanks? Yeah, that'd be great. That would be amazing. Uh, what pages are we doing? Give me a sec. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, Page four is where it starts the Emissary of Mars. Page four? 24. Okay. I was going to say, we're, we're a little past page four. I think page four is just like the image of the Aquila, but I could be wrong. So, Jason, I went on a, a, a deep dive in uh, the Battlefleet Gothic books. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw the images that I posted in the, in the chat, but, dude, these guys did their homework. Like, it's all there, man. Well, they <laughs> created it is the thing, though. I... So I don't think they did. Well, maybe Andy Hoare. I have to go back and look at who actually were, like, who were the writers and designers for Battlefleet Gothic, but... Well, didn't Space Marines come out of Battlefleet Gothic? Or am I thinking of something else? uh, Rogue Trader, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but it's all there, man. Um, But it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you go back and you look at it and the attention to detail and the history it's like um yeah it's it's fucking awesome man like 10,000 years in the past i hmm. guess yeah which is yeah weird. there's gethsemane but it's guess but guess what gethsemane is not 10,000 years ago <laughs> alive yeah alive no it's not a fucking hive world dude huh right if you look at the Battlefleet Gothic map on page uh, um, stand by. Okay. I love the fact that Dave gets into these deep dives. Like it right? It's so enjoyable to see it in the chat. It yeah, this is so on this is the, the Battlefleet Gothic 
um, core rulebook, which I think was published back in 2001, might have been 1999. Um, there's a call-out box on page 159 for the guessamine subsector. And guessamine, which is would be the capital world of the guessamine subsector, is a hive world. Oh. But apparently it has grown. All right. Fair enough. Cool. All right. Well, save the really, really good stuff for the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, just... technically, we're recording right now, so we could just edit this shit. Yeah. This is all, like, jumbled and unprofessional. <laughs> Super unprofessional. Uh, does anybody else think it's weird? Uh, look at page 26 of uh, book four. four. Uh-huh. That there's just, like, a Myrmidon just chilling by himself next to, like, two Lancers and uh, whatever the little blasty tank is. He's doing his best. It's like, where's, where is like your squad, bruh? Like, they gotta still be alive. You got two big ass lancers right next to you. So this has got to be um, the siege of Numenal, right, Jason? And this is, I feel like this is a little foreshadowing. This is probably what is it, House Atra- uh, Atarix? This is, uh, yeah. Uh- Wait, stop. We can't talk about this. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to bring it up. <laughs> All right. Give All right. One sec. I know, right? Like, I feel like now that Pat has his knight household and I've got my knight household, um, and we're both like the lore is deep in this book. Like Pat, does your night household actually come out of this book? Yep. Yeah, it, man. Everything in it. Um, and yeah, and I'm. This is the reason why this is the only black book that I ever want to own. Granted, I have to buy it first, but. Oh yeah, definitely need to buy it. See, just... I feel kind of lame. I just made up my own house. Oh no, I it's mean... not. Lame. When you read, like, their name in proto-Gothic is Rackendor, which is the Pilgrims of Ash and Blood. I'm sorry, that's pretty legit. Like, get on my level. Yeah, yeah you're, just, you're, you're just taking it to the next level. Like, Pat and I are just being lazy, man. Like, you, <laughs> fucking, you fucking took it to the next level, dude. Well, mm. I kind of wanted an excuse to... I couldn't find a night house with like a white and gold. But um is your night house white and gold? Yeah. Uh white gold and uh little spot colors are bright blue. That well it's bad. it's gonna be your new night house, right? Because you're repainting all your nights, right? Uh, yeah, very slowly. Oh, that's what I thought. So you're 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 like your twenty eight millimeter night house, right? That that you you were you had before. Are you just changing the paint scheme? Ever so slowly. Right on, right on. How's the big potato doing? Are we still together? Uh, not entirely. Well, what did you do? I set him down, and the same leg fell off, and then kept sideways. How did how did you set him down? On his feet. Did you drop him? No. 
see you guys are right now you you guys are not selling me on the pofiron like you yeah because it's really bad <laughs> like completely not selling me on this yeah it's not don't get it. bad bad it's just like you look at it on paper and you're like uh, 500 points oh but it's like four 72 inch range strength 10 ap2 large blasts that sounds amazing but it's it looks really good on paper but it's kind of like a it's like the opposite of Castellax Achaea. It's like they look good and you find more things and like they're even better than they seem. But the Porphyrin goes in the opposite direction. It's like it seems good, but then you constantly find things that make it worse. Like it's only got two attacks at an initiative of three. And it's only strength ten. So if at, even at like a basic knight charges him. It's just going to fall over because the basic knight's initiative four. It gets to swing first with like a strength D weapon. And if it gets stuck in combat, it can only kill potentially two things a turn, which is normally not enough to, you know, force something to flee. Yeah, and that's right. And so knights can get stuck in combat, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. They don't have the, they don't have the Titan rule for, um, Never that they be. can walk away. Yeah, that's so yeah. fucking stupid, man. I mean, for, for something that's 520 points, right? That's eight whole points, one whole point away from being a Warhound to be, to have none of the advantages that a Warhound has. And, um, yeah. and it's taller than the rest of the Knights, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. Even as a super heavy, or not as a super heavy, even as a, um, Heavy support choice in a Questorus Nighthouse. So you give it Tank Hunter, beef it up a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a hard sell, man. Have you guys, or have you officially decided on like how many nights Dave is giving you? So we definitely can't talk about this right now. Okay. <laughs> like, this is super off the record. Um, uh, yeah, but no, I'll let you guys know in the chat. All right. For sure. uh, well, you want to get on top of it? Pat, you want to bring us in? <laughs> That's like the worst way to describe starting. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, welcome everybody to another uh, awesome mini-sode of the uh, Heresy Grad School, part of the Remembrancers Retreat. Uh, this is part three of the uh, Corona Deep. Uh, right over to Jason. I think we're covering uh, the Emissary of Mars, right? Indeed, we are. So, uh, <clears throat> starting out here, I wanted to touch a little bit on a pretty key figure here in the uh, Coronas Deeps, uh, Regulus from the Mechanicum. And I said last time, uh, Regulus is almost like the Erebus of the Mechanicum. Uh, he was the official emissary to the 63rd Expeditionary Fleet. That was the War Master Zone. And he was the one that came back to Mars. Uh, bring in all that good shit uh, that Horace promised Kelbor Hall. It was actually him that originally infected Kelbor Hall with the scrap code and uh, offered to open the vaults of Moravec on Mars with all the uh, forbidden technologies and research down in the basement of Mars uh, if Kelbor Hall would just come over to the Warmaster side of things. Now, allegedly, it is also Regulus who is out here in uh, the Coronas Deeps, 
uh, talking to the two Forge worlds we're going to go over tonight, uh, Mazoa and Pandex. Now, this kind of a little bit positive that Pandex was totally that place in World of Warcraft where all, you know, the and monks come from. Uh, Sounds about right. Sounds was, a little too blizzardy. I was mistaken there. That is actually a Pandara. But uh, you can see how I would make that assumption. So, the interesting thing for me, uh, starting out with Regulus, uh, there are a lot of contradictions throughout the length and breadth of heresy about where Regulus ended up and what he was doing at any given time. Uh, and it's pretty entertaining because he gets a lot of time whenever somebody shows up on a Forge world to try and bring them over. It's more or less attributed to Regulus. And what's really entertaining is something happens like in Mazoa and Pandex here where one goes for it and the other flips the Warmaster's Emissary a stiff middle finger. And so you end up with two different Forge worlds at war with one another. It's kind of like, um, what was it? Uh, back in like the 1300s, you know, they had the papal schism with, I think it was Urban and Clement, where there were two simultaneous popes and they like excommunicated each other. It's Perfect. kind of like that just in space with the Mechanicum. And then, like, a couple decades later, I think there was, like, a third pope, and they were all excommunicating each other at the same... It was pretty... So, yeah, they all fought for who could sit on the uh, throne in Rome. It was, it was really stupid. So, Jason, I've been um, I've been listening to uh, uh, the... Oh, fucking... Uh, I went with Rogel Dorn, the Praetorian um, Dorn, right? Oh, and, yeah. And it's 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 really a good analog to what we're talking about right now because it's all about sort of setting up the fall fall of the the solar system, right? And it's it's heavy Alpha Legion where you know they they go in early, they set it up, you know, they cause chaos and confusion. Um, planets and listening stations and astropathic ducts go silent. And I'm just thinking about the multiple appearances of Regulus right now. And I'm like, that guy is totally a fucking Alpha Legion plant, right? Like he's showing up everywhere at the same time. That dude is Alpha Legion. It really does seem like it, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. He's either Alpha Legion or he's fucking Erebus. And I would just rather have him be Alpha Legion. <laughs> I don't know. You ever think God, that the Anakim could have uh, turned out a whole bunch of Reguluses? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, I think he could have. Um, like know, just their standard pattern emissary majos, and they just like, you know, boilerplate a whole bunch of them out. I could see it. Yeah, I mean, they do it with servitors and servo skulls. Why can't they do it with magi? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, all right. So let's look into what uh, Regulus was getting up to in the uh, Coronas Deeps. So uh, <clears throat> he ends up going to both of these Forge worlds. Uh, the first one he hits up is Pandex, and they are all for Regulus. Now, uh, when he comes down, uh, he gives the. Uh, Chief Majos there, kind of an ultimatum. 
uh, you offer all of your forge output to the Warmaster, and you harbor and repair his ships when they show up, and you deny those same things to the uh, to the Loyalists. Um, you do that, and uh, Regulus also points out that the uh, local Loyalists are already squabbling amongst themselves. They don't even know what's going on. But he offers the Majos of Pandex. Uh, not only does he offer him STCs from the Great Crusade, and if you know anything about the Mechanicum, you know their entire driving purpose is to find standard template constructs. Uh, but on top, he offers to pretty much the same deal as on Mars to unbind them from the chains that the Emperor has placed upon their research. And he also, of course, offers the protection of Mars and the War Master. And this is a big point that I think gets skipped over a lot. Uh, For the Mechanicum at large, uh, Mars itself, under Kelbor Howe, the Fabricator General, like their highest uh, prophet, their highest commander, the big giant robot church that is the Mechanicum, is saying... Horus is the way. Horus is the way we're going. Horus knows what's up. The Emperor has been, you know, treating us as a vassal state for too long. And Holy Mars itself is telling every Forge world they come across that this is the way to go. So it's uh, it's really difficult when taking that into account to see how any of the far-flung Forge worlds could have not ended up with Horus. But uh, that's kind of what happens here, and while there's a big division, on Pendex, uh, its history has been kind of blighted uh, ever since it was recontacted by the Great Crusade. Uh, when Regulus shows up, he's met with, like, you know, all courtesy. Uh, he meets privately with their highest majos, a guy named Arateka. And it's a little odd because Arateka meets with Regulus without any say-so or any recourse to his uh, synod of Magi. Uh, if you remember back to our Mechanicum episodes, that's like the uh, little bunch of cardinals to the uh, Magos Intendant's Pope, if you will. So he, without any recourse to the, his synod, he pledges to the War Master, and there's uh, what they call a brief but violent resistance but is uh, this entire planet is really used to internecine conflict, so it's put down pretty quickly. Uh, and Orateka, because he's pledged to Horus, is granted original, like, grade A Martian Skatari, and even some Titans from Legio Mortis. And if you'll remember back to a previous episode too, Legio Mortis are essentially the personal enforcers and attack dogs of Kelbor Hall. They're really used to putting down uh, conflicts and any uppity magi that Kelbor Hall has a disagreement with. And uh, pretty much all of the loyal vessels that were docked around Andex that didn't really want to go along with this plan are impounded, and a lot of their crews are either pressed into ganged or turned into servitors. Now, in the other direction, Mezoa. 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 Let's go with Mezoa. A completely different reception. So Regulus shows up, and he finds the entire system already is on a war footing. They're all armored up, uh, they're fortified, their security is at high alert, 
and his ship is stopped at the very outer edge, and they ship him an ultimatum that he can only use the simplest of two-way communication, but if he tries anything else or to transmit data, anything, if he tries to, you know, log on to the Mechanicum Wi-Fi, they're going to instantly destroy him. Now, we need to pause here for a second, because what it says uh, specifically is Regulus's ship is met by a Mazoan battle sphere. And I want a bit of wild speculation right now. Do the Mazoan Mechanicum have access to Death Star technology? Because that's what I get out of Battle Sphere. It they have to. I mean, like a hundred percent, right? Yeah, I I think so. And I think it's important to also make the distinction right now that like Mazoa is the rich Forge world, and Impendex is like the poor, beaten down, like unappreciated Forge world. So. Not been going so hot. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think Mazoa is like, um, I, mean, I think they're, they're amazing. And I mean, I don't want to do too many spoil alerts early on, but <laughs> spoiler alert, um, Mazoa is still a Forge World in 40k. Look it up, folks. It's in BFG. Yeah, the. Uh spectacular bunch of uh, guys at Forge World have done their research. So, um, Mazoa, like Dave said, it's a very rich, well-developed uh, Forge World that's doing excellently by, its, uh, by itself. Uh, it's already kind of independent from other Forges, and it's pretty fiercely loyal to the Imperium. Uh, and as we'll see a little bit later, a lot of the other planets in the Cyclops cluster are kind of screwed over by their infighting and they lock down, they become very isolationist. Mazoa does too, but it's such a successful forge world that it actually manages to cause a huge uh, diversion of resources from the War Master's you know, crusade to take over the Cyclops cluster. Because it's so heavily fortified, he can't just pass by a forge world that's this densely populated and well-developed. He has to stop and blockade it. Now, uh, this is actually ruled by what's called the Pentarchy of Archimandrites. So, five of them, I would. Uh, they tell Regulus they flat-out reject the War Master's proposal. Uh, they call Hal and Regulus himself apostates and blasphemers against the Omnissiah. And they will destroy him instantly if he returns at any point. Uh, they transmit they are formally seceding from the authority of Mars, which they no longer recognize. And besides that, they give Regulus the stiff middle finger of branding him a heretic, tell him to go pound sand. Dude, can we just pause there and like because I just fucking got chills. Like <laughs> to, for for a Forge world to like tell the emissary of Mars and uh, basically say, you know what? We are fucking formally seceding from your little empire and your heresy. Like that, that just has so much balls, man. Oh yeah. 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 No, I, I, I love it. And I love the whole, you know, the pendrate of Archimandrites. So you get the, the deep dive on, what this forge world's like and 
yeah, I can't wait to get some Easter eggs. So uh, I, I feel like Ford will did a solid force by taking something out of, you know, 2011 Battlefleet Gothic and giving us like uh, some some deep lore on this man. I still love the fact that they they essentially force him to use a a string in two cans to talk to them the entire time. Well, otherwise, they could slip some scrap code through. So, right. for some reason, the Mazoan and Mechanicum are already wise to the scrap code, which I thought was pretty interesting. But, let's see here. So, pretty much immediately after they tell Regulus to go pound sand, uh, the Warmaster orders the blockade of Mezoa. And uh, <clears throat> this is actually directly assisted from Pandex just next door uh they send ships and a whole bunch of ad secularis and they've already managed to cut off a lot of the surrounding systems from zoa and repurpose a lot of the resources to pandex itself now mazoa and pandex were really long-running rivals but they were never outright enemies and this is kind of like dave was saying pandex was much maligned Zoa. So I think they kind of see it as this uh, this is their time to obtain resources that otherwise wouldn't have been available and to try to bring themselves up to another Forge world they'd already kind of been in the shadow of. So Mazoa is pretty actively resisting this, but they're kind of trying to avoid outright engagements, dedicating huge amounts of force to it. Uh, a lot of their far-flung like watch posts and forces, they're ordered to fight until destroyed, but again, it's kind of like a uh, fallback maneuver across the system. Uh, throughout these engagements, uh, the Mazoans are heavy uh, into the Ordo Reductor. They've got uh, lots of Thalaxi units, which are really outnumbered by the Ad Secularis that uh, Pandex keeps sending their way. But individually, they're a lot more powerful. Uh, Pandex is... Oh, yeah, go ahead. You're probably going to get here, and I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, man. But uh, so for our listeners who may not know, like, what ad secularists are, can you can you just, like, break oh, it down for them? So ad secularists are the next upgrade from a servitor. They're essentially chemically lobotomized humans that have been uh, attached to a laser weapon and pointed in the right direction. Uh, more or less a zombie created via technology to fight as, you know, foot soldiers for the Mechanicum at large. And there's a whole wide range of them. Every Magi that creates them has their own little unique spin on them. But uh, as a whole, if you think of a uh, zombie with a uh, laser rifle, it's not too far off. On yeah, other... if you're... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No worries. Uh, on the other hand, the Laxi are uh, essentially a brain in a jar, but uh, they're almost like tiny dreadnoughts in like the central nervous system of a... Normally, uh, prisoners from like a penal colony are placed in these massive combat armors uh, that are actually larger. They're about the size of a Terminator, maybe a little bit larger. Uh, but they have jetpacks, uh, inbuilt reactor that powers those jetpacks along with the lightning gun. Uh, they're pretty heavy duty. They're almost like uh, 
Mechanicum Ogren, around the same size. So actually bigger and stronger than individual Astartes. But uh, Pat, what'd you have for us? Oh, I was just gonna say if if listeners are like trying to to put more of a visual to it, just go to Forge World and you'll see when you uh, when you look for the the thralls, um, they're essentially the guys that look like humans. They're just covered in in armor. Um, and I actually have a question about Thalaxi. Do Ursarax are they part of the Thalaxi? Are they their own? They are. Um, they were actually developed much to the uh, chagrin of the Ordo Reductor by a different Magi. Uh, but they're essentially a close combat version of the standard Thalaxi unit. Okay, cool. I, I just wasn't sure if they had a different, if they were within this. I know they're semi in the same family. I just didn't know how far apart they were. Oh, yeah. It's a. Uh... It's really dependent on where you stand, whether they were an innovation or a heresy, but other than that, pretty close. So, uh, some of these worlds they've been cutting off as they go and attempt to blockade Nazoa. Uh, two different refineries, uh, Jujuya and Gunner's Rock, are destroyed. Uh, one thing, one example I thought was perfect to illustrate how a Mechanicum war goes. Uh, thousands civilians from vapor mills on New Providence are essentially just mushed to paste in between uh, thousands of Mechanicum forces uh, engaging in battle with each other that pretty much don't calculate them to the equation, which, you know, feels pretty Mechanicum. And, uh, but the big problem here, the Imperialis Armada as a whole for the uh, Cyclops cluster kind of avoid interfering here. They're kind of fearful of the consequences of what's going to happen if they interfere in a Mechanicum war. Because they're not entirely positive that it's traitor versus loyalist. It kind of comes off to the rest of the cluster, who, again, they're shut down, uh, very isolated and you know panicking a bit. Uh, this may still be an internecine conflict between the Mechanicum faction. It's not like the Mechanicum are uh, telling them otherwise. They're not exactly open with what's going on to you know the Imperium at large. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's such an important point, right? Like, I, I, as I listen to um, the Praetorian of Dorne, and you know, we sort of get into um, the Alpha Legion tactics. It's all about sowing confusion, you know, fifth column misdirection, um, propaganda, and it's just like I can totally see this now as the Cyclops cluster, which is, I mean, it's far flung, man. It's way out there. Right. And, uh, you know, only certain individuals have been read in on what happened at Istvan three and even more recently at Istvan five, uh, you know, very high ranking individuals in the Imperial, um, Armada and Exertus, Imperialis Exertus. And, um, you know, most of these planets and planetary governors newly brought to the Imperium um, just have no fucking idea what's going on. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could easily see how, how things would go awry for them. Yeah, I thought um, it's really interesting. Uh, one of the things we'll talk about next time, uh, Dominica Minor, uh, it was a planet that was taken over. Nobody had any idea at the time. The only way the Imperium at large figured out what happened there was the uh, was the uh, data core from a Lance cruiser that had been destroyed uh, in the battle surrounding it 
uh, that was picked up 19 years after the actual engagement. So long, long after the heresy itself had already wrapped up. Yeah, like we're we're well into the scouring at that point, which I love that they're they're doing the foreshadowing to mm-hmm. to give us history from the scouring, and it, it just it gives you like what's the perspective of the narrator here, right? So like I don't know, Jason and Pat, like I don't know if you've had these questions, but I read the black books and I'm like, dude, what is the perspective of the narrator, right? Like what kind of in it because it's not 40k, like we're not getting the omniscient point of view, but we're we're somewhere, I think, after the heresy, looking back, there's that, you know, sort of apocryphal AK logo in the very beginning that we went into um, very early on, I think, in Remembrancer's Retreat. Uh, yeah, that was like episode two, I think, actually. Yeah, and I don't know if we ever even solved that, but um, I just I feel like we come back to it all the time now with the foreshadowing and, you know, where are we Um looking back into the heresy, but I, I just, I love that Jason. I love that. Like 19 years later, a data core was picked up somewhere lost in the void. Oh, absolutely. I think it goes to show just how deeply the heresy wounded the Imperium at large. I mean, Dominica minor was one of the largest like seats of government in the Cyclops cluster. And they had no clue what happened to it till almost two decades after it had been destroyed. Yeah. But, so, we'll get to that. However, so, uh, at the end of 006 M31, uh, the Mazoan system is pretty much completely isolated. Uh, it's really heavily fortified, like we were talking about earlier, but uh, it's effectively neutralized. So, that's kind of at a stalemate. Uh, down a little further to the galactic south, uh, if you'll remember, we talked a couple of episodes ago about Port Maul. Uh, it's pretty... Uh, iconic even into the 41st millennium. But this is where the Loyalists are accumulating forces to kind of try to attempt to break that blockade of uh, Zoa. And they're just about to kind of head into that when they receive news from Laskell that's on the very edge of the Grail Abyss. Now, we talked about this last time. Laskell is, again, like Dominica Minor, one of the larger seats of governance and one of their key re, uh, relay points for information for rogue traders, things like that. Uh, they send kind of a last garbled message of a massive enemy fleet translating out of the Empyrean. Uh, the world's proximal to the Grail Abyss had been going dark for a while now. They were really too far from Laskell and Dominica Minor, you know, Port Maul, where they're marked with their forces, uh, to be considered a primary concern. But this is a huge problem now because there's no time for them to rally reinforcements to kind of save Laskell. Uh, its last broadcast uh, just sends pictures of gray and white warships bearing Death's Head and Reaper's Scythe of the Death Guard. And the chapter little deal ends here saying the Death Guard had come to the Cyclops Cluster. Now, uh, before we get into that section uh, called the Reaper of Worlds, uh, one thing I want to touch on of uh, special interest to Dave here uh, is this little box out called The Fate of Orlock. So uh, the planet Dark Haven is a night world that's uh, home to uh, Dave's personal night house here, uh, House Orlock. And it was attempted, 
attempted contact by the Warmaster. Not by that uh, big Sons of Forest battleship, the Icon, that's going around, but by a smaller rogue trader ship called the Cherid Un. And they touched down. Uh, the landing party was instantly thermal-lanced into oblivion, and uh, the ship itself is driven off with defense lasers. Uh, the Lord Seneschal of House Orlock kind of makes his report to authorities uh, that he can get to, which unfortunately for him is the now-blockaded uh, Mazoa, is their uh, closest ally. Uh, but they really only try to imp- uh, send back some empty platitudes because uh, they're already blockaded. They've got stuff going on. And uh, nothing is really heard from Orlock in the initial uh, engagements here until in, let's see, 4102-007-M31, a lunar-class cruiser called the Beer touches down in Darkhaven, uh, gets no reply, and their landing parties uh, check out the planet itself. It's not destroyed, but it's pretty much deserted. Uh, all their knights are gone, their halls are empty, and their vaults of technology and armaments have been stripped. And we don't hear from them again for quite some time. Yeah, this is like serious foreshadowing. I love that they just throw this call-out box at like the bottom of the page. Um, <laughs> because, you know, House Orlock is... is, is um, we'll, And we'll get into this later on in our coverage of uh, the Coronid Deeps, but um, they're pivotal in uh, some of the final engagements of the Coronid Deeps. But they're also... Um, they were also kind of positioned well. So they are tipped off. Uh, early on uh, by a uh, Legion of Stardust vessel that's escaping Istvan III um, that knows of uh, Darkhaven, knows House Orlock is, you know, a loyalist nighthouse. And um, I don't think the literature makes reference to the specific uh, a chapter or legion of, of space Marine that, that lands there. But, but essentially like house Orlock is tipped off, right? They're like, okay, there's a fucking heresy coming and it's real and it's going to destroy the Imperium, or at least it's going to destroy the Cyclops cluster. And, um, they know that they can't stand on their own against the combined, you know, um, uh, you know, fleets of the war master. So, uh, it's yeah, they're it's genius, right? They they set this up way in advance, and when the rogue trader uh, fleet gets there, uh, they are uh, they're ready. But I feel like we're going to get there, Jason. Oh yeah, we'll get there. Don't worry, trepid <laughs> listeners. Uh, we will bring you all the information and all the crazy rabbit hole deep dives that you could ever need. So. Let's scoot on over to page 28 here, uh, looking at this subsection called the Reaper of Worlds. Now, for the next uh, little bit, we're going to be hanging out with the uh, 17th Sun Dragons Deep Range Cruiser Squadron of the Armada Ultima. So, God, that sounds good. Right? They, they put some work into the nomenclature. It's good stuff. So uh, this cruiser squadron Pops back up. They're the first to return to Laskal in response to their distress call. And they just find a a turd storm. It's it's bad stuff. Uh, it's a giant void battlefield that's just littered with destroyed ships. Uh, 
more or less the entire war fleet of the system flocks in at about 40 capital ships, over 100 escorts. Uh, there are even three retribution-class battleships uh, floating around in the wreckage uh, called the Ozymandias, the Star Tamer, and the Scepter of Iron are all like mainline battleships. And it's particularly alarming uh, because there's no certain wreckage of enemy vessels. And I think they do a good job here because they describe how dangerous these debris fields can be. Uh, it's obvious that they've gone down the conflict itself pretty recently because a lot of the wreckages are still venting plasma or air you know, out in the void. But now besides the wreckage, uh, you've got unspent ordnance, torpedoes floating around, wreckage tumbling, uh, orbital mines all in the mix. It's not a terrific place to be. And the Sun Dragons are instantly on high alert uh, because they're expecting, you know, an enemy fleet to sweep through, destroy the opposing fleet, and then occupy the planets they were defending. But that's not what the Death Guard do here. The Sun Dragons are expecting an ambush, but this ambush never comes because the Death Guard don't occupy these planets. They've just annihilated them as they pass. Um, they've essentially purged them of tens of millions. And the Sun Dragons find a lot of signs of mass bioweapon bombardment. Uh, they've still got a bunch of radiation. Uh, the planets themselves are very dense with like weapon radiation and distress calls that are still bouncing around. So the uh, Sun Dragons touch down. They launch their pretty much full cohort of solar auxilia companies in lockdown void armor to check out like some of the Imperial palaces and the uh, key defensive structures. Uh, Laskow 5 is where they touch down. It's really not doing so hot, even though it was like the chief seat of Laskow. Uh, its anchorage station is now a debris belt uh, orbiting the planet itself. But they touch down here, and pretty much all of these defensive structures are completely destroyed. Uh, they find airborne pathogens, uh, chemical nerve agents floating around. And the palace itself, they find evidence it was sealed before this chem bombardment, but it shows signs of a direct assault. It's pretty much uh, spot-on evidence of Astartes' engagement pattern. Uh, they find places where, like, power fists have ripped open bulkhead doors and their bolt gun casing impact craters all over the place. Uh, but if that wasn't enough, the Imperial commander of Laskol is impaled with a cast-down Aquila, and the Death Guard banner is raised in its place. So the Sun Dragons bring this news back, and this discovery spreads really quickly. It causes... Uh, actually causes more damage really uh the rapid falling out between these worlds that are already locking down are getting even worse uh they give examples a trio of them uh worlds indicott moravas and sand parter that news hits and reaches the populations and its whole scale rebellion uh overthrowing the imperial authorities and which could have been uh exacerbated by plants and populace uh, Dominica Minor, which is the seat of the government, all of the Cyclops cluster has rebellion, but these are kind of put down. Uh, a lot of different colonies are coming back, too, uh, like mining colonies. The two they give here, uh, Grist and Rabison, are both annihilated. 
And the problem with these are they're in a direct line between Laskell and Dominica Minor itself. So the it feels kind of weird to call them the Dominicans, but you know, <laughs> uh, the Dominican guildmasters here uh, are sending out requests for aid left and right, but they're really getting a whole bunch of uh, you know polite denials at best because uh, still going on the Mezuin blockade full swing. Uh, which is being reinforced with different ships from Pandex. And Pandex itself has seized control of pretty much anything nearby uh, with their, you know, legions of ad secularis stomping down the doors. Uh, getting back to that Gethsemane system we talk about, they surrender more or less without a fight. Uh, there are a couple of other individual worlds, like uh, Vargas and Bleak Harbor are two they give here that same deal they surrender to the war master without a shot being fired uh another interesting uh individual example is a feral world called Zarevich, where the natives uh overthrow the recent imperial commanders and uh yeah uh butcher them as sort of a, a rite of initiation to join the uh, sons of horus that touch down and uh just like uh we were talking about before uh, planets on the fringes going dark. The real true scale is only apparent once these communication attempts are made. Uh, Dominica Minor doesn't realize how bad this has all gotten until they try and pool their resources, break everybody out of this isolationist attitude, and get stuff together. And they realize how much uh, the fear and isolationism in this system has shut things down. Because individual worlds really don't have a chance at all. No, Which, they, yeah, they really don't. And, and uh, I mean, Jason, I, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but uh, I mean, on page 35, there's an amazing um, map that, that just shows the, the, really the dismantling of the Cyclops cluster, right? This is, I mean, this is the war master. This is the genius of Horus. This is Horus using you know, every uh, asset at his disposal. So the death guard, right? They're, they're, this, they're not into, they don't want compliance. They don't want capitulation. They don't want loyalty. The death guard are literally like burning planets as they go. And it's all about the drive to Port Ma and being able to, you know, control the segmentum obscurus and the um, segmentum ultima that we're on the border of here. But it's just, I mean, it's just fucking brutal, man. And this brings us up to uh, what we'll be getting into next time. Uh, this little subsection, Death on Dominica Minor. But uh, that is all I've got for you guys tonight from me. No, that was, that was, um, man, it's just, it's intense. Like I'm like literally, I'm worked up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Pretty stoked. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, um, man, it's, it's the dismantling of worlds and subsectors going towards Terra, right? The ultimate goal of, of Horus. I mean, he's got to get there and it's years before he gets there. Right. This is, this is what 007 Jason. And I don't think he doesn't get to Terra until uh, M11. I mean, we still have Moloch. We still have a lot to get. We have through. a lot of ground to cover. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we said in the first episode, this is essentially the first of the almost template uh, Horace uses to start rolling back through and reconquering some of these planets in his dark compliance. Yeah. Yeah. I think after Horace, you know, after Istvan three, and he realized he wasn't going to get the decapitation strike that he wanted on Terra, and uh, things didn't quite go his way on Istvan five. Um, he, you know, he realizes this is going to be a long, drawn out, brutal campaign of attrition. And this is, I mean, these are the opening shots. And uh, fuck, it's 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 so grim, dark. I, I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love everything from the Forge World of Impandex basically recycling, you know, the the captured and the dead of war into Ad Secularis zombie automata, automata to, uh, you know, seeing Mortarian just go dark, even darker than he was, and, and chem bombard whole worlds and planets and systems. Um, yeah, just like completely uncaring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever humanity may have been in him is is now gone, and you can see that. It really is kind of like the Death Guard's entire right of war turned up to 11. It's not just, you know, uh, enemy force. Now it's entire systems that they're methodically moving through and eliminating, like, one by one by one. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's genocide, man. And I mean, I, you, you know, you, you, I mean, there's a part of you that feels like, wow, this is what the Death Guard do, right? This is why they were thrown into what the Ragna genocide or Xenocide and, you know, they came out, but like, fuck, man, this weapon turned on the Imperium and turned on the citizens of the Imperium. Like, we're just not ready for that. Um, but uh, no, nah, it's it's awesome, and there's so so much more to come. So stoked! I think we I think we might need to have Stephen and Austin on next time as guests just to talk about Void Warfare. It sounds like a good plan because probably half of this is you know death in the void. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been another awesome mini-sode of the Heresy Grad School. Um, you know, like I said before, thank you all for listening. We do this as much for ourselves as you guys. Uh, we know you all appreciate it. Yeah, you do. Now, now uh, let's go back to our slogan, guys. Craig, fuck off. Fuck off, Craig. <laughs>